Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. Well, welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Come on, let's put our hands together for that. This is a huge day. This is the day where all of us, millions of Christians across the world, hundreds of thousands of churches across the world are unified in celebrating our risen Savior. And that is a big deal, and I am grateful. Aren't you grateful to be counted in the number that recognizes, that acknowledges Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our risen Savior? I'm excited about today's message, and I think that uh, God has something specific to say to each and every one of you on today, and I'm excited to, to, to deliver it. I'm going to be talking to you from the theme, the topic of true story. Now, if I was to give it a, a, a subtitle, I, I, would, I would subtitle it, Consider Jesus, because that's exactly what I, what I would love for you to do would be on this day that we call Resurrection Sunday to consider Jesus, right? Um, there, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of question marks over whether or not this faith that we believe in, this thing that's called Christianity is true. If the story that we celebrate on today and many other days, is it a true story? See, most people don't have a problem with religion, they don't have a problem with God. They'll say things like, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you are a good person, got good character, sound morals. They'll tell you that all paths lead to God. They'll convince you that basically all religions are the same. They don't have a problem with you saying or praying to God or the man upstairs or that there's, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a, a higher power. Somebody on my timeline has shared a, a, a clip. I think it was supposed to be like a motivational clip of some sort. <laughs> I wasn't too motivated, but it was a, uh, a, of a rapper. He was, he was trying to, uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, coming from where he came from. He didn't think he would make it you know, to his mid-20s, and now here he is in his mid-40s, and he was saying, you know, he plays defense. That's why, you know, he said, he, would, he would started outlining his day. And he said, man, listen, first thing I do when I get up is I pray. He's like, I, I, you know, I, all I know is, you know, is a higher power, you know. And then, and this, this was the motivating part, he said, you know, after I pray, then I strap up. I was like, that's interesting. Um, so people don't have a problem with prayer. People don't have a problem with a higher power. Um, people have a problem with Jesus. <laughs> We're okay as long as we stay in like a, like a feel-good type theology, you know. In times of trouble or in times of even grief, most times when you're at a funeral, no matter if that person murdered 17 people, they'll get up there and massage 
the life story and say that, you know, they're in a better place. I know he or she is looking down over me from heaven. They're comfortable in that, in that, in that feel good, you know, I just want to feel good about this person and about my situation. But the moment you start niching down the conversation to the name Jesus, it becomes a problem. Now, listen, people know that Jesus existed. He's not just in the Bible. He's also in other religious books. Not only is he in other religious books, but he's also in plenty of secular writings as well. There isn't a debate as to whether or not a man named Jesus lived on this earth. There's not even really a debate. Like most people say he was a good person. He had good teachings and he taught us how to be of high character. He taught us things like forgiveness. He taught us things like being kind to other people. He was a good teacher. <laughs> That's not the problem. They think that much is definitely a true story. The problem is this. The problem is when we come into agreement with the statement that Jesus told us when he says in John 14 and 6, when he says, I am the way <laughs> and the truth and the life. And this is the sentence that cost him his life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, he wanted everybody to know that thank you for appreciating my teachings on love. Thank you for appreciating my teachings on forgiveness, but there's something else that I need you to know about me. I'm the only way to the Father. And that's when the trouble comes. People are not too sure if that version of the story of Jesus Christ is a true story. And, and so we're going to go on a, on, a, on a quick journey today just to, to, to figure out, is, is, this, is this a true story or not? And we're going to go there by, by focusing on a particular word. It's a very common word. Whether you've been in church all your life or just a little bit of your life, it's a word that you have heard over and over and over again. It's a word that many of us use every day sometimes. Now, here's a, a powerful fact about this word. This word is the same in Hebrew. This word is the same in Greek. This word is the same in Latin. And this word is the same in English. Now, you may be like, why did I pick four random languages? But they're not random. See, our Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Our New Testament was written in Greek. The Latin language is derived from the Greek language. And the English language that we speak is derived from the Latin language. So this word went from Old Testament time to New Testament time to modern day times and the meaning didn't change. And it's the only word to do that. Isn't that cool? I'm a Bible nurse, so y'all gotta roll with me a little bit. <laughs> um, that word is amen. 
the meaning didn't change. Through all the translations, through all the movement and all the shifts in language, amen, stayed the same. Now, since it's so common, I'm curious. Y'all talk back to me like Eric had y'all doing. He was like pointing y'all, y'all singing back. I need y'all help. <laughs> Keep that same energy, okay? When you hear the word amen, what does that word mean? I agree. It is so. It's finished. I heard it's finished back there. Awesome. Anybody else? So be it. It's done. I love all of those. I love all of those. Those are great. Those are wrong, but those are great, <laughs> great, fantastic definitions that you all came up with. Um, and we use it so commonly. Um, that word amen in, in the Hebrew and in the Greek is pronounced amin, amin. And, and on, the south side, on the south side of Chicago, it's amen. We put an A-Y-A-N at the end of it and we say amen. We stretch it out a little bit. Um, but that word is super powerful for a lot of reasons. Um, I want you all to take a look at 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, um, because it's there that the Lord in his word says this, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. Here's some things you need to know about this particular word, amen. It's in your Bible 183 times. 30 of those are in the Old Testament, 153 times it is in the New Testament. And it's interesting that 20, we have 27 books in the New Testament and 24 of the 27 end with the word amen. It is a super powerful word that we have kind of commonly made into something of a cliche, but not today. We're going to unpack this word a little bit and we're going to figure out why is this such a powerful word? Now, depending on the type of church that you grew up in, um, sometimes we are an expressive church where when the preacher talks and he says something good, you say, Okay, you're supposed to say amen, or that's good. I'll take that. <laughs> and so, you, you know, you kind of look at a liberal church or, or maybe even a charismatic church and, and, and some other aspects, you know, some churches, be, be because they don't say anything when the preacher's talking, they're, 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 they're the more uh, refined church. And so nobody talks, nobody speaks except the pastor. That's not this type of church, so don't do that, okay? Um, and so it depends on, on where you're at in the context of, of, of your church or in your society or even the demographic that you grew up in, whether or not you express this word on a frequent basis or not. Um, what does it mean? Well, it can mean several things, but if you translate this word literally, you'll find a very um, interesting fact about this word. Uh, we're going to first take a look at this word in the Old Testament. So point number one is let's look at amen in the Old Testament. Now I told you that in the Old Testament, this word was used 30 times. 12 of those times are in one book, in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's used in a very uh, unique way. It's used in a way that's kind of counter the way that we use it right now. Because 
when we use it, it's usually attached to the back end of something pleasant or something that really inspires us. And if I say that that money is coming to your house right now, you'll say in agreement (laughs) with that declaration. I mean, y'all just just chime right on in and like y'all done did this before. But anyway, in Deuteronomy uh, 27, um, um, they are on a mountaintop and they are being given directives. And this word amen is used in this majority of this entire chapter, but it's used not in the way that we would like co-sign and get excited about. So in Deuteronomy 27 and 14, it says this, then the Levites will shout to all the people of Israel, cursed, uh uh-oh, is anyone who carves or casts an idol and secretly sets it up. These idols, the work of craftsmen, are detestable to the Lord, and all the people will reply, verse 16, cursed is anyone who dishonors father or mother, and all the people will reply, amen. Why would, why would they put an amen about a curse? Why would God instruct us to reply to this instruction about what happens if you do this? You'll be cursed if you do X, Y, and Z. And I just read you two of them. There are eight more in this same chapter. And at the end of each one, God instructs the people to reply, ah, amen. Amen to a curse? Why would God do that? I think because he's a loving father, he's a loving parent to us, just like we are to our kids. Think about it. When our kids get in trouble, when they do something outside of themselves, we try to warn them, do we not? And because there will be consequences, I'm trying to help you get this figured out now. Because what happens is when we get older, consequences get worse. And so as a parent, we're trying to deal with it, knock it out right now so that you can learn your lesson at this level so that you don't get to the handcuff level or worse. And so that's what the Lord was trying to do with his children. It was a a warning. He wanted them to know that if you do this, this consequence is going to happen. And if you do this, this consequence is going to happen. And so I told you that there are 30 times that the word amen is used in the Old Testament, but only two of those times is the word translated in its literal form. And all the other times that it's used, it just simply means that amen or amen. But there's two times where we get an inside look to the actual definition of the word. And that first one is in Isaiah 65 and 16. And it says, all who invoke a blessing or take an oath will do so by the God of truth. If you look up that word truth, it's amen. Because the word amen in its literal translation means truth. It's true. It's true. So when you hear someone saying amen, they're saying it's true. 
So now we got to be a little more careful with our amens. <laughs> so if I get up here and say, listen, if, you don't get, if, you, if your neighbor doesn't get it right, they're going to go to hell. Like, don't just throw amen up there real quick. Like, it's true. Like, give them some grace. <laughs> give them some grace. Don't just, don't just throw it out there. All right? So uh, um, now we're going to jump and we're going to look at that word amen in the New Testament. Um, because it shifts a little bit in the New Testament. And that's because I told you that the majority of the times that we see this word, we see it in the New Testament, 153 times. And two thirds of those came from the mouth of Jesus. 107 of those are in the four gospels. Stay with me. Half of those 107 times is in one book, John. Now John ain't even that big. 51 times in the book of John, we get this word in a little book. How do we do that? Because something shifted with that word once Jesus got a hold of it. In the Old Testament, they were using it at the end. If you do this, this will be the consequence. Amen. What happened with Jesus is he took that word and he put it at the beginning of some of his statements. And he didn't just put it at the beginning, he doubled it up. So when you see that word in the New Testament, you don't always see it as the word amen. If you look in the King James Version, you'll see it as verily, verily. Some translations they call, they, they translate it as truly, truly. For example, in John 3, 3, it says this, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he's stressing the fact that what I'm about to say is true. And some debate on why did he go so far as to say it twice? You know how sometimes when, when speakers, if, if any of you all have, have gone on a journey to become a speaker or learn how to speak in public, you know there's this thing called speaker habits. It's like crutches, like when we lose our spot or when we lose a thought, we'll say something to kind of fill in the blank or it's a phrase that we're kind of comfortable with. Like one day I was driving a couple weeks ago and I was listening to a, a preacher on the radio and after every sentence he would say, are you there? Like literally, after every sentence, he would make a point, are you there? Make another point, are you there? Finally, I said, yes, I am here. Continue with what you got to say, bruh. Well, sometimes speakers, we, you know, you, you get into a habit, a crutch phrase that comes to your brain. And so could this be what Jesus was doing? Could, could, was he gathering his thoughts? before he was making each of these statements, or, or truly, truly, or very, verily, verily, I say this to you? Well, many believe this, because in another part in our Bible, Jesus says that I don't say anything that my Father hasn't said to me. And so since he had decided to come to earth, many believe that he would say this phrase to say that what I'm about to say is true in heaven, and what I'm about to say is true on earth. 
And so that's why he would double up and say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, because he was establishing that this commandment, this word, this instruction comes from the Father to me, and now it's coming to you. This is really important. This is very true, and I never want you to forget it. You have to understand something, because this is, for us here at All Nations Aurora, we call this the Genesis year. This is the year where everybody that's assigned to this house or that's connected to this house is going to go through a process in this first year where God is going to take a part of you that is without form and he's going to make something great out of it. He's going to create something new out of a part of you that's been laying dormant. And so you need to understand, since you're here, how the creation process works when it comes to our Savior. It's like this. The Father wills it. It's his will. The Son words it. Shows up in his word. And then thirdly, the Spirit works it. So it first starts with his will. So our first step is to come into agreement with his will for our life. Because he's given us a will of our own. We call it a free will. Where we get to make our own decisions, our own choices. We get to say yes or no. We get to say I agree or I disagree. We can say I submit or I am running. So step number one is to say, God, whatever your will is for me, I agree with that. And then step number two is to find out what does the word say? Right? Because our Bible tells us that Jesus is the word. And then the third step in the process is to submit to the Holy Spirit to work out in us the things that need to be worked out in order for what was the will of God to show up as a manifested form in our life. It's us saying we agree. We cannot go through this process without first saying it's true. Amen. When God's will becomes known to us, we have to agree. We have to say amen. And the third point I want to give you is the amen of God. So we looked at the word amen in the Old Testament. We looked at the word amen in the New Testament. And now we're going to look at the amen of God. A hundred and four times out of those times that the word amen was spoken in the gospel, um, two of them was to John in Revelation. At the end of John's life, he had an encounter with a man named Jesus. Now you're saying, wait a minute, didn't, how can that be if Jesus already walked the earth and Jesus already ascended back to heaven. How could, how could John have an encounter with a man named Jesus? Um, it's what's called a theophany. Um, it's a big fancy word that just means that it was an appearance of Jesus in his non-human state. So in Revelations 1 and 18, Jesus is talking to John. And he says this, 
I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive. Amen. He's saying what I just said to you, this person that you see, because if anybody knew him, it would be John. He was known as the beloved. He was, had a special acquaintance with Jesus as he walked this earth during his earthly ministry. So he would know if this was Jesus or not. And, and at the end of this statement, Jesus said, it is true. Everything that you heard, everything that you experienced, everything that I taught you, everything that I showed you, here is the proof. I'm standing here in front of you and it is true. This is what Easter is really all about. Because we've gone through this life, some of us have been raised in church, some of us have heard these stories, these Bible verses over and over and over again that it becomes white noise sometimes. And we haven't really taken the time to consider like, is this really true? Did this really happen? Is it possible that what I was taught in Sunday school and in Bible study and on Sunday mornings, is, is it accurate? Is this Jesus thing a true story? And that's something that we have to come into agreement with. We have to give our amen or withhold it. We can't just treat Sunday mornings like a Christian social club, and these are the people that I just come and sit next to, and we sing songs, and we, we read verses, and, and we give offerings out of habit, out of routine. This is just what we have always done. This is all I know. That's not good enough. God wants your cosign. He wants to know, do you believe? This story of Jesus Christ, his son. He wants your amen. For me, I had to make this decision on my own. I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up in church. I served in church as a kid. I was six years old. I went down to be baptized, but I didn't come into my amen until I was 20 years old. I was living foul. I just was, I'm just gonna tell y'all. I was not looking like what I should be looking like. I was not living like what I should have been living like. And God sent me to a whole nother country. I was in the military. He sent me to South Korea. And then, for those of you who don't know, there's a North Korea and there's a South Korea. South Korea is safe. North Korea is dangerous. They don't like us. And so God sent me to South Korea, and then he sent me to the most northern part of South Korea, where I could literally see North Korea, and I could literally see North Korean soldiers. It was the most North Army base in the country. Matter of fact, you had to cross over a bridge into a, a small part of North Korea to get to my base. Part of my safety briefing was, listen, um, if they decide to come down, we got about six minutes and we all dead. That was my first day there. I was like, thank y'all so much for telling me that. <laughs> really, 
I'm really excited about spending this next year here. And it was there, away from all the distractions, away from all the traps of life, where I gave my amen to God. I was tired. I knew better. I was searching for uh, answers in, in, in all the wrong places. I thought I was missing out on something. And what I found was that when I gave my amen to the will of God for my life, my life changed. So again, you have to understand that the routine of going to church, the routine of opening your Bible app and reading the verse of the day is great, but it's not enough. God wants you to co-sign his son. As I get ready to close this thing, you have to know this. This story uh, that we call the resurrection story is true. No, listen, you can't just accept it for face value. This is a heart issue. Whether or not this is a true story is not something that you can reconcile cerebrally in your brain because the Bible says that God searches the intentions of the, of the heart. And so right now he's looking at your heart and he wants to know, are you just here because you just want to be a good person? Are you here because you believe that Jesus was a good teacher who taught good character traits? He wants to know, are you here because you, you know, you believe in karma and you know that, you know, as long as I do good, good will come to me. Or are you here because you believe that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a true story? Are you here because you believe in your heart that without Jesus, you're nothing. Without him, you won't be who you're supposed to be. Do you believe that your life should be hidden in the life of Jesus Christ? See, that's a different type of amen. It's easy to say amen to the parts of this Bible that feel good to us. Sinners do that. It's easy to say amen to the parts of the Bible that we want to see one day in our life. Sinners do that. There's people in hospital rooms right now that don't care nothing about Jesus that are praying for miracles with sincere hearts. That's great, but that's not enough. Jesus wants you to give him an amen. Is this a true story or is it not? My last little fun fact about this word, amen, is the very last word in your Bible. This Bible that you 
claim to adhere your life to ends with amen. It ends by saying it's true. God wants you to know that from Genesis to Revelation, it's true. He doesn't want you to wonder, to doubt, or to partially believe. He wants your heart to say that this thing, this faith, my surrender is true. This is a true story. This is something that Mary and, and Peter had to come into agreement with. Because see, Mary was the first one to see the tomb empty. Mary didn't come there expecting to see what she saw. The irony is this, and this is where, where we find ourselves sometimes. Jesus warned all of his disciples four times what was going to happen. He told them that he would be handed over, that he would lose his life, but he told them on the third day, I'm getting up. You would think that they spent three years right next to Jesus, at his feet, learning from him directly, you would think that they would have enough faith to meet up on the third. You know, Jesus told us on that third day he was going to get up. Let's all get together and let's go see. That's not what happened. Your Bible says that Mary and the other Mary came to the grave with spices. Those spices were to embalm Jesus. They didn't have any faith that he was going to be resurrected. But they loved him that they wanted to go there and anoint his dead body. But when Mary got there, they, the stone was rolled away. The, 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 the burial clothes were folded up and neatly placed. There was an angel there that says, what? what are you looking for? He's not here. He has risen. And Mary, she runs and she tells the disciples and it says that Peter sprinted. I mean, took off to come and see. Was it true? Was it a true story? Is he really not there? Turns out it was true. He had risen. He spent several days with them after the fact, giving them more teaching, giving them more encouragement. He had to go and find Peter. Even after Peter saw that his savior, his master had got up, he was so ashamed of what he had done. He was so ashamed that he had forsook Jesus that he wouldn't even let himself 
received the miracle. Jesus had to go find him on a fishing bank because he had returned to what he knew. He no longer felt worthy. He was so focused on his sin that he disqualified himself from walking in the miracle. Maybe that's some of you. Maybe some of you are so fixated on what you have done in your life that even hearing the truth of this story is tough. Because you're like, man, not me. I did this and I did that. Peter was the same way. He had sat next to Jesus. Peter, listen, walked on water. <laughs> you know the type of faith it takes to walk on water? In a storm? Where everybody that you rolling with is telling you you crazy trying to stop you and you decided in that moment to have enough faith, enough guts to trust Jesus and your feet walk on water. But despite all that, he had no faith left. His sin was just ringing in his ears and in his memory and he just thought, listen, I'm glad that you got up, but I know, I know I disqualified myself. So let me just go back to my fishing business. I tried. I tried the whole Christian thing. I tried to, I tried to go to church. I tried to read my Bible. I tried to pray, but I failed. I messed up. This, this isn't for me. And Jesus had to go out there, find him, and reassure him that I got up for everybody, <laughs> including you. I came here because you were going to mess up. And he told him, come on home. I have work for you to do, Peter. And I think that's God's admonishment to a lot of us here in this room today. Some of us have been running for Jesus. Some of us have been walking for Jesus. Some of us have been running away from Jesus. And what he wants from you is a new commitment, a new amen. He wants you to take step one, which is to come into agreement with God's will for your life. Nothing else can happen apart from that. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes and search your heart just for a brief moment. Nobody's looking. Nobody's judging. Nobody's keeping score. This moment right here is between you and God. And he's asking you for an amen. He's asking you if you believe that this is a true story. 
and that you want to come into agreement because of that fact with the will of God over your life. All hearts clear, all eyes closed. I'm going to ask a question. If you know you need to give your life to the Lord or you need to recommit your life to the Lord, nobody's looking but me. I'm not going to ask you to do anything, come up here, do any jumping jacks. Just Can you just put your hand up in the air just so I can acknowledge, so heaven can acknowledge that you're giving your amen to him, not to me. I see you. 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 Okay, you can put your hands down. So we're gonna pray together, collectively, because one of the, the, the functions of this church is that our goal is for you to find family. And so we're gonna pray together as a family because I don't want anybody walking out of here the same way they came in. So if you're ready to, to, to give the Lord your amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought us here today, that this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for choosing us to come into your house, to gather in your name, to celebrate your resurrection. Father, we say amen. We believe that your word is true and that your will over our lives is best. And because of this fact, we surrender to you. We acknowledge you as God. We acknowledge Jesus as your only begotten son. And we acknowledge your spirit as our present help. Father, thank you for considering us before we were able to consider you. Thank you for loving us before we were able to love you. Thank you for forgiving us because we don't have it in us to forgive ourselves. So in this moment, our heart says, amen. Our heart says, yes. And we want your will to be done in our lives. Now, if you need to give your life to the Lord, we're gonna say a prayer. This part needs to be said out loud and we're all gonna say it so you don't have to feel isolated because we love you and we're your family. But the word says that you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge you as my Lord and as my Savior. I am a sinner in need of your grace. So Father, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and take control of my life. I acknowledge you as the only begotten Son of God. And I acknowledge you as my Lord over my life from this day forward, forever. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Come on, let's celebrate that. Jesus got up so they could get up. Come on, let's celebrate. And let's all say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.